Well, good morning, Central. It's great to uh, hear you all this, or see you all this morning, and hear you. Um, well, my name is Richard Rock, and I serve as one of the elders here at Central Christian Church, and it is such an honor. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, you guys are so great, and we are just, I just love serving alongside so many of you and really appreciate you coming out this morning. Uh, if you're new here at Central, welcome. We're really glad that you have chosen to join us this morning, and we want you to know that Central is a place where you can find and follow Jesus. And if you're watching online and behind the camera back there, we probably have a few more visitors online this weekend, given all the health concerns out there and maybe even some of the time changes, but uh, we're, we're really, really glad that you've joined us as well. Well, the Rock family did something different for Christmas this year. We decided to go to Australia, and it was really a great experience. And as a father, I really enjoyed it because I got to watch my kids do so many amazing things. They had the opportunity to hold a koala, to pet a crocodile, to swim with turtles, to hold jellyfish. Um, maybe I'm not a good father for letting them to do all of those the good things. But, um, but to be honest, my kids were a little bit nervous about going at first because they had a friend that told them that everything in Australia tries to kill you. And I was going to originally say that this was a little bit of an exaggeration, but Charles Hickman tells me that it's actually true. Um, Aussies just get used to it. So <laughs> anyway, you look at it, uh, there are plenty of dangerous animals down, in, uh, down under. Uh, we saw deadly snakes, massive spiders, prehistoric-looking birds, and, of course, crocodiles. Now, crocodiles have the strongest bite force of any animal in nature. In fact, they bite down six times harder than a great white shark. Um, they're a truly terrifying animal. But you know, it turns out that crocodile attacks are actually pretty rare. Uh, would anyone like to guess who the most likely person is to be attacked by a crocodile? <laughs> Young men in their 20s, especially locals. Um, it turns out that these are the men that are most likely to say, I know these waters, and there's no, uh, no crocodile in, uh, in these waters, but uh, sometimes they're wrong. Um, we also uh, took, an took the opportunity to go out to the Great Barrier Reef while we were there. Michelle and the kids went snorkeling, and they just saw an incredible variety of uh, corals and fish and other wildlife. And um, they, uh, that was one of their favorite days, actually. But to get out to the Great Barrier Reef, we had to take an hour-long boat ride. And along the way, they gave us a safety lesson. And one of the most important things they wanted us to know was what to do in the event that somebody fell overboard. Would anyone like to guess who the most likely person is to fall overboard um, on a boat? Uh, it was none of the Rock family. But uh, uh, here's a video hint for the answer to that question. So as long as you don't stand on the front of the boat doing your best Leonardo DiCaprio impersonation, I'm king of the world, uh, you should be fine and not fall off the boat. 
Um, well, with that, let's, uh, let's pray and ask that God might bless this time of study this morning. Well, Father God, um, it is such a privilege to be able to gather here this morning. And Lord, we just want to be aware of all the people that aren't with us, um, that are home. Um, and Lord, we want to ask that you would just bless our nation, our county, our church. Lord, in this time with the coronavirus, Lord, that you would keep um, people safe. Lord, we uh, pray for the people that are looking for um, a cure to the coronavirus. And, uh, but Lord, I also just thank the people that have uh, joined us this morning. We, uh, we just are so grateful for the freedoms that we have as a people to study your word openly. And we want to set this time aside to dedicate it to you. And we ask this morning that you would just remove anything that might um, be a hindrance or a block or a distraction from what you want us to hear this morning. Lord, would you open our minds and our hearts to your word this morning? Lord, we know that your word is true. And so we ask that um, this morning your truth might be proclaimed from this pulpit. Uh, Lord, because we know that faith comes from hearing your word. And um, so, Lord, as we hear your word this morning, we just pray that we could be men and women of courageous faith. And uh, we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, we are in week five of the Courageous Faith series. Hasn't this been a great series? I've uh, really enjoyed what uh, Pastor Tim has been doing so far this year. Um, this series is actually rooted in the first of Central's five core values, and you can see these on the screen behind me. Uh, the first is that we live lives that demonstrate courageous faith. Second, we help others find and follow Jesus to experience life transformation. And we love everyone because people matter. We experience fellowship with God and others through authenticity. And finally, we glorify God when we pursue excellence. Now, as Tim talked about in week one of this series, courageous faith is one of those things that is really only possible when we have right perspective. And that's because our perspective really does shape how we see things. Take this ping pong ball, for example. It is just a standard 40 millimeter ping pong ball. In fact, it's so small that I can completely enclose it in my hand. But look what happens when my perspective on this ping pong ball changes. Suddenly something that is tiny appears much larger. In fact, it appears so large that it can obscure everything in this room. You know, what we choose to hold close and to focus on in life really does matter. It will affect how we perceive ourselves, our circumstances, God, and sin. And this is why God challenges us in the book of Jeremiah to get right perspective. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, it says, This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. God tells us to stop. Look around, seek wisdom, and get right perspective. And God wants this for us because it will actually make a difference in how we live. This is because with proper perspective, we can see that our circumstances, our sin, our temptations are actually small compared to an infinitely large and powerful God. And when we understand and believe that God is bigger than our problems, we are emboldened to act with courageous faith. 
But when we choose to hold our circumstances, sin, and temptation close, then God appears small, not because he is, but because of our wrong perspective. And in those moments, we become more likely to lose our courage and turn away from what what God's best is for our lives. And so we have to each determine what is What will I choose to hold close? What will I allow to dominate my vision as I go through life? What is going to be bigger in my life, my sin or my God? My fears and anxieties or my God, right? My troubled marriage, my addictions, my um, anxiety or my uh, pornography addiction or my God, my health, my insecurities, my past hurts or my God. It's really going to depend in large measure on your perspective. Now, Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. But just before he says this, he warns us that we all have an enemy. His name is Satan. And Satan wants to keep us from enjoying all the fullness that Jesus came to bring us. And Satan will try to steal your hope and your joy. He will try and kill your passion and your energy. And he will try to destroy your witness and your ministry. And one of Satan's favorite weapons in his war against you is to try and get you to look at things with wrong perspective. And this is literally the oldest trick in the book. In fact, in Genesis, the first book of the Bible we see that the first thing Satan did when he approached Eve in the Garden of Eden was to try and get her to change her perspective. He tried to get her to think that God was holding something back from her. And he convinced Eve to take her focus off God, off his goodness, his promises, and to begin instead to focus on that poisonous fruit. And as she did that, her perspective shifted. Everything she knew about God, all of her experiences with God, suddenly were obscured by her new focus. And when Eve lost perspective, her courage was weakened. And then through disobedience, she threw away the blessings that God had planned for her. It can be challenging to watch other people throw away good blessings, right? And really hard when we think about the blessings that we've sometimes thrown away in our own lives. Maybe we've thrown away a good job or a healthy relationship. Maybe we were foolish with our money or careless with our words. I know some people in this room have gone through periods where you've thrown away nearly every good thing in your life and now you're working hard to recover what you've lost. And I want you to know that here at Central Christian Church, we see you and we're cheering you on. But more importantly, God sees you, and he loves you. And here's the truth about God. No matter how badly you might think you've messed things up, our God is able to repair, restore, recover, and redeem everything because nothing is too hard for him. And God wants to bless you through this. He wants to bless you with freedom from anxiety and addictions. He wants to bless you with healthy relationships. He wants to bless you with a peace of mind that is far beyond anything you could possibly imagine. And he wants you to be victorious in every part of your life. But you know, some of God's good blessings are conditional. They're conditioned on our willingness to follow Jesus and to do what he asks us to do. 
To put this another way, if we want to experience the full blessings that God has planned for us, we must first be willing to hear and obey God. And you see, in between hearing and obeying God is a moment of decision for each and every person in this room. We have to decide in that moment whether or not we are going to obey God. And that choice of obeying God always involves an act of faith, an act of courageous faith. Now, earlier in this series, we saw a time when the Israelites failed to demonstrate courageous faith. In Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, we saw that just after God had brought the Israelites out of Egypt with these crazy miracles, and he had promised to give them this amazing land, this promised land that was great for agriculture, flowing with milk and honey, a great place for raising their families. But when it came time for taking hold of those promises, the Israelites lost their God perspective. They lost their spiritual vision. And suddenly, instead of seeing the God who had rescued them from slavery, instead of focusing on the God who had parted the Red Sea and destroyed their enemies, they chose to focus on the giants in the land. They could only see the ping pong ball. And as their hearts melted and their courage evaporated, they turned away from obedience and the good blessings that God had planned for them. But before we get too judgy about the Israelites, we've probably done the same thing many times in our own lives, right? Well, now 40 years has passed and we find ourselves in the book of Joshua. This is where this series has been based. Now, the Mos Moses, the servant of God, is dead, but so are the rebellious, grumbling doubters who caused Israel to turn away from the promises. And Joshua has been called by God to lead the Israelites back into the promised land. They're going to get a second chance. Their faith and their courage is going to be put to the test once more. Now, the good news is that unlike the first time around, they've developed a much better pattern of hearing and obeying God. They've prepared for battle. They've moved the camp. They sent spies into Jericho and the promised land to check it out. They consecrated themselves according to what God had asked. And they crossed over the Jordan River on dry ground in a miracle that was so much like the Red Sea. And now we find the army camped in the plains of Jericho. They made it. They are in the promised land. But here's the thing, the giants and the nations of people that frightened them away 40 years earlier are still there. And the walled city of Jericho is protecting them. The walls and the armaments of the city of Jericho stand in open opposition to the freedom and blessing that God has planned for his people. If the Israelites are going to take possession of God's promises, they will have to start by defeating the city of Jericho. But there's a deeper spiritual meaning for us in the room today. There really was a city called Jericho, and there really was a battle of Jericho that we're going to look at briefly. But the city of Jericho in our lives today represents the things that are holding us back from possessing the promises that God has given us. If we want to possess those promises and those blessings, then we also have to defeat the Jerichos that in our lives. And so as we sit here this morning, some good questions for us to be thinking about are, what are the Jerichos that I have in my life? 
What is holding me back from God's blessings? What battles do I need to fight in order to be victorious? For myself, I have many Jerichos in my life. I have a Jericho called insecurity. I have a Jericho called pride. You can actually have both. I have a Jericho called control, a Jericho called the need to be needed, and so many others. This is just a short form list. Each of these cities represents uh, an emotional and spiritual stronghold that stands in open opposition to the truth of God in my life. And you know, here's the thing. Our enemy tries to exploit these strongholds in my life and yours to melt your courage and to prevent you from acting with courageous faith. And the enemy loves to use these strongholds against me. Here's an example of a time in my own life when the enemy um, tried to use probably my deepest insecurities to attack me and to try and keep me from acting courageously. As many of you know, I'm blind. And, uh, but I haven't always been, uh, my vision hasn't always been as bad as it is today. In fact, less than 10 years ago, I could see much, much better and I could still get around without a cane. And many people didn't even know that I had vision impairment. And to be honest, I was pretty proud of this because I didn't want people to think of me as blind. I didn't want people to know me for what I couldn't do. I wanted people to know me for what I could do. But about eight years ago, something happened that forced me to face my vision loss head on. I was at work, running a little bit late, and uh, so as I uh, headed home, I decided to take a side street that I was hoping would be less busy and maybe allow me to make up some time as I got home for dinner. And because I, was, uh, I thought the street was clear, I was walking pretty fast, at least by blind guy's standards. And, um, but unbeknownst to me, a truck had, when they'd pulled into their driveway, hadn't pulled in all the way. And so their tailgate was actually sticking halfway out into the sidewalk. And so I ran into that tailgate at full speed and uh, went down pretty hard. I was bleeding and disoriented, but uh, actually I wasn't hurt too bad, um, just shook up. Um, but I, while I wasn't hurt too bad physically, um, emotionally, in my soul, I was pretty broken up at that moment. And as I sat on the ground, I just felt this flood of emotions wash over me. I started to feel shame and embarrassment at my situation. I felt pity for myself. It's an attractive trait. Um, I felt fear that I was losing more and more of my vision. And I was so exhausted by how hard it had become to deal with my vision. And I was even more exhausted at the thought of how much harder it might become. I worried about whether or not I would be able to do my job, support my family, be a good husband and father. I questioned my value as a man, employee, father, husband, right? I mean, how quickly I went from just another day walking home from the office to feeling desperately inadequate and afraid. And in that moment, I wasn't thinking too much about God or his promises or all the blessings in my life. In that moment, I had that ping pong ball smashed up against my eye. All I could see was how terrible things were and how it was only going to get worse from there. Maybe some of you can relate to a moment in your own life when you've just felt overwhelmed by your circumstances, 
But you know, God is so good. He will show you the way out, and he showed me the way out that night as well. But before um, I finish the story about how God walked me through that, let's first look at how God helped the Israelites defeat their Jericho. In chapter 5 of Joshua, we read that uh, part of the Israeli army has crossed over the Jordan River and they are now camped in the plains of Jericho. From a military perspective, this is the moment when the Israeli army should be most vigilant. Because with the Jordan River behind them, any lines of retreat are blocked. And with the plains in front of them, it opens it up for a very fast assault from an enemy that could take them by surprise. But just at the moment that the army should be most vigilant, God asks them to do something that makes them vulnerable. God tells Joshua to make flint knives out of, or to make knives out of flint stone and to cut off the foreskin of all the men who had not been circumcised. Now, all the men in the room just crossed their legs and cringed. Um, this is a tender procedure, and it's not being done in the sanitary confines of a doctor's office. It's being done in the desert. And even under the best of circumstances, this is a semi-disabling procedure uh, for several days. And in fact, had the enemy attacked the Israelites at this time, they would have found that the fighting um, capacity of the Israelites was severely impaired. So why did God choose this moment to have the Israelites be circumcised? Because God wanted their obedience much more than he needed their strength. And God was preparing to do a mighty miracle to defeat Jericho. But there was a problem. For the last 40 years, the Israelites had been disobeying God. God had asked them to circumcise all the men. And they hadn't been doing it. And their lack of obedience in this area of their life was getting in the way of a mighty miracle that God wanted to release. And so they realized that if they wanted to enter the promised land, they would first have to be obedient to, the, to God in this area of their life. And so something on the order of one million men were circumcised. Now, as we sit here this morning and we think about the things that you might want God to release you from, as you think about the blessings that you might want to receive from God, you may want to first ask yourself, is what has God been asking you to do? Is there something that God's been asking you to do maybe for a long time that you haven't yet been obedient in? And you know, while sometimes being obedient to God can feel like it makes us vulnerable, we need to remember that we can always trust God because he loves us and because God's timing is never accidental and it's always perfect. God knew that even as the Israeli army was gingerly walking around camp recovering, that the enemy of God, the enemy of God and his armies weren't preparing to attack the Israelites. They were actually cowering and afraid. We learn in Joshua chapter 6 verse 1 that actually the king of Jericho had shut up the city. He was hunkering down because he knew that his days were numbered. And while we, as followers of Jesus Christ, can take comfort in verses like Romans chapter 8 verse 31, where it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It works in reverse for the enemies of God. They know that if God is, is against them, who can be for them? And they saw God on the move. And so as you prepare to fight the Jerichos in your life, 
you can be confident that your spiritual enemies are just as afraid of God as the king of Jericho was. Because when God is on the move, the enemies of your soul don't stand a chance. Now, as Joshua waits for his army to recover, he, sees, uh, he takes a walk outside the camp, and while he's walking, he sees a man with a drawn sword. And Joshua asks, are you for us or are you for our enemy? And in chapter 5, verse 14, the man responds, neither, but as commander of the armies of the Lord. This is no junior officer that is approaching Joshua. This is the Lord of Lords, a commander with power. This is Jesus Christ himself. And Joshua responds by asking, what message do you have for me? Jesus answers, take off your shoes, you are on holy ground. And Joshua falls down to worship him. And Jesus proceeds to give Joshua two things in this moment. He gives him a promise and a plan. In Joshua 6.2, Jesus gives him the promise that Jericho will fall. He says, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Now, if Joshua had looked, taken that in the moment and looked around, he wouldn't have seen anything different. But Jesus can promise this because Jesus is God. He knows the end from the beginning. And he is not inviting Joshua to look around with his physical eyes. He is asking Joshua to look with his spiritual eyes. He's inviting him to trust that God is a God who makes and keeps promises. And God had promised this land to the Israelites. Jericho is a trespasser. And so Jericho will fall. Because when God is on the move, nothing can stand in his way. And if you have a Jericho in your life, that is a trespasser on the promises of God in your life as well. Next, Jesus lays out the battle plan for defeating Jericho. And it is an unusual plan by any standard. But Joshua realizes that unusual or not, God's plans are always better than our plans. Now, if you've never read uh, Joshua's, Joshua chapters 5 and 6, I encourage you to do so. This is an amazing story. It's worth studying. We could literally spend an entire sermon on the next three verses that lay out the battle plan. But we're not going to do that today. I'm just going to give you a quick summary. And the summary is that the, the battle came in three parts, three phases. Phase 1, Jesus said, I want you to have the whole army march around the city of Jericho once per day for six days. And have them be led by the Ark of the Covenant with seven priests carrying ram's horns. Phase two. On the seventh day, instead of marching around the city one time, I want you to march around the city seven times. And this time, while you're still being led by the Ark of the Covenant, I want the priests to be blowing on the ram's horns. Third phase. After you've finished walking around the city of Jericho seven times... The priests will blow a long blast on the ram's horn. The army will shout with a mighty shout, and the walls will come down, and then you can just rush in and defeat the city. That sounds simple enough, right? Or maybe just a little crazy. But you know what? God's going to leave no doubt about who deserves the credit for defeating Jericho. And to join, in the defeat of Joshua, to join in the defeat of Jericho, Joshua only had to do two things. He had to hear and obey. Now after hearing Jesus' instructions, 
Joshua doesn't hesitate to obey. He immediately orders the priests in the army to carry out Jesus' plan. And the priests in the army immediately move to carry out Joshua's orders. Because Joshua had learned when, that when God speaks, we need to listen and obey and obey quickly. Earlier, we had looked at, uh, we looked at Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, where it says, stop at the crossroads, look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Look at this verse again, though. This verse is another way of saying hear and obey. We have to first ask and hear from God. And this is the first thing we saw Joshua do in chapter 5, verse 14 of Joshua, where um, when Joshua comes face to face with Jesus, he asks, what message do you have for me? Second, we have to um, walk in obedience if we want to find rest from our Jerichos. And what we see here is that when Joshua and Israel follow God's instructions, they experience rest from Jericho. The walls came tumbling down, and the Israelites easily defeated their Jericho. And here's the good news is that as followers of Jesus, we can experience complete victory and rest as well. But we have to be willing to hear and obey. So, how did I... Um, experienced victory that night as I walked home in the dark. Well, God is so good. You know, <laughs> the first thing God said, he's so practical, he said, get the ping pong ball out of your eye. <laughs> he said, remember Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. God was telling me, stop believing the lies of the enemy. Stop allowing Satan to contradict God. And don't insult God by entertaining Satan's lies. And stop questioning your value from a flawed human perspective. Instead, focus on the truth of God's word and his promises, the promise that he loves me, the promise that all things work for good, even things I don't understand like my blindness. Get right perspective. So in that moment, I got up and I started walking home. And I knew that in that moment that how I responded to these circumstances and that setback would set a direction for me. I would either walk down the path where I want to obey God and possess the promises that he has for me, or I would turn away from some of the many blessings that God wants to give me. But you know, God wasn't done yet. As I began to walk home, I heard him say something else. He said, you need to sing. What? <laughs> that sounded a little crazy. I really didn't feel like singing in the moment. I was hurt. Um, I was exhausted emotionally, physically. But God said it again gently said, I want you to sing. And I remembered that just before the verse I read a moment ago, Philippians 4.8, that in verse 4, Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, even when I don't feel like it. 
Rejoice in the Lord always, even when I'm barely hanging on and fighting for my sanity. Rejoice in the Lord always, even when I feel hurt and alone. Rejoice. And so I started to sing. Nothing loud. Nobody was looking out their windows to see what the commotion was. Uh, This wasn't an Irish drinking song. Um, But I sang. And you know what? While the neighbors couldn't hear me, God could. And so could Satan. Satan was losing this battle. The Bible tells us that God inhabits our worship. And as I began to worship God in that moment, God drew close to me. And the spiritual enemies of God and of my soul fled. They had no choice. You know, the last thing we saw the Israelites do before they entered the city of Jericho was to blow on the ram's horn and to shout. The ram's horn was used in ancient Israel to declare freedom and liberty for the people. And that night, I felt like God was blowing a ram's horn over me, declaring freedom and liberty from my Jerichos. Of course, I still have many Jerichos in my life. I'm not done fighting. The Israelites weren't done fighting either after they defeated their Jericho. They went on to fight many other battles. Possessing the promised land isn't something that is done all at once. It happens over time. And just as Joshua and the Israelites didn't fight all their battles the same way, neither will we. I won't be called to sing every single time, but God will tell us what to do. Our job is to hear and obey what he wants us to do. And obeying God will require that right perspective, and it will also require perseverance. We have to resolve to be strong and courageous to the very end. Sometimes our battles are going to take time. And imagine what would have happened if after six times walking around that city, the Israelites had looked around tired and exhausted and said, gosh, the walls are still there. And they gave up out of discouragement. They would have missed out on the promises that God had planned for them. And I don't know where each of you may be in your battles today. Maybe you haven't started walking around your Jericho. Maybe you've walked around one time or seven. But wherever you're at, if you are following God's plan for defeating the Jerichos in your life, you can have confidence that you will be victorious. In James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the person who perseveres through trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has prepared for those who love him. So don't give up. You will be victorious and receive the crown of life because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now this morning as I prepare to close, I really felt led to leave you actually with the same verse I've left you with the last several times I've been up here. It comes from John chapter 13, verse 17. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room. He's been sharing what's about to happen, including the plan of going to the cross to defeat death. But before he's finished, he leaves his disciples with a number of instructions. And then he tells his disciples, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. But you know what? Put another way, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, now that you hear me, you will be blessed if you you obey. 
So my question for you is, do you hear Jesus? Do you hear the gentle, loving voice of the Holy Spirit urging you to do something? What is God saying to you? Are you being prompted in some area of your life that you need freedom and deliverance in? Is there some area of your life that you need to be obedient in, that God's been calling you to? Is there a specific step that God is calling you to that you need to be obedient in? Earlier I shared that the most likely person to fall off the bow of the boat is the person that stands at the front and says, I'm king of the world. But the truth is, I'm not king of the world and neither are you. There's only one king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the captain of the hosts of the Lord's armies and he wants to be the captain of your life too. Are you willing to step down from the bow of your boat where you know you're gonna fall off eventually anyway? And instead, let Jesus be your captain. Will you choose to hear and obey his plan so that you can hear the sound of the ram's horn and enjoy freedom and liberty? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for loving us. You loved us so much that you sent your son that we might live life to the full, not just a little. You want to bless us in big ways. Lord, I, I just love Jesus' words when he says, now that you hear these things, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Lord, you are more gentle and generous to us than we deserve. You know that we don't always take the time to hear you. So Lord, I ask right now as we, uh, as we are just in a space where we can hear you, Lord, I pray you would speak. Pray that everyone listening to my voice would just quiet their mind and open their hearts to what you might want to say. Lord, would you reveal yourself in the minds of each person here? We want to hear your gentle, loving voice. We want to be like Joshua, Lord, and ask, what message do you have for me? Lord, reveal areas of disobedience. Show us what we need to do. Show us what the next step of obedience in our faith journey is. Lord, reveal the Jerichos in our lives. Those emotional and spiritual strongholds that stand in the way of us possessing your promises, the promised land, the things that weaken our faith. Give us the courage and the faith to follow your plan for us, Lord. And let us obey quickly, like Joshua did. Give us perseverance. Lord, we know that on our own we can do so little, but through you we are more than conquerors. Help us to live lives that demonstrate that courageous faith and that truth in our lives. We love you, Lord. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.